So we are in Revelation 17 this morning. We're going to do chapters 17 and 18 this morning. And so good news, this is the last of the long section on wrath and judgment, right? After this, we have all the wonderful, sparkly, positive, celestial things like the New Jerusalem and the Millennium and all that stuff, all right? Um, but I don't know about you, but this, these chapters have just really affected and, for me, refined my view of who God is and that he's, he is loving and good and merciful and warm and fatherly and he wants to chat and he wants to meet you in your life and give you good, wonderful things, but he is also holy, right? And it is essential to his nature. And Jamie Ellswick did a great job last week kind of establishing that if, you know, in your foundation or at least reestablishing it and firming it up in your foundation that this is part of who God is, not just what he does. Of course, God doesn't do anything that's counter to his nature, but we tend to separate those. But it's who God is, right? And it's who he will always be. Like in eternity, in the future, he will still be perfectly holy, right? And so that's kind of where we've been living for a few weeks. And so we're in Revelation 17. And um, let's just read the first six verses. Because the theme here is not just the wrath of God, but it's, it's that I think the Holy Spirit for all of us is trying to unveil or unmask the world and show us who she really is. Because what the world tries to tell us and, and convince us of is that she's very attractive and seductive and sweet and can give you all these wonderful things. And we tend to get sucked into that. This today more than ever with the number of advertisements, I can't, I've seen the numbers, I can't remember now what they are, the number of ads a typical person sees in a day, it's insane. And all of those things have a worldview and a philosophy driving them that they are trying to actively trying to convince you of. And it's very easy living in the world we live in to start to think, well, the world is attractive and what God is going to do in these verses is un unmask her. And let you see who she really is so that your heart cannot be impressed anymore. All right? So let's look at these first few verses. Verse 1, chapter 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. And with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and earth's abominations. Quite a name. 
And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. All right. It's a lot of imagery, but we should be used to this by now if you've been re following along in the book of Revelation. This is how it goes, right? Some of this should be familiar. Okay, one is the beast. We see a beast here with, uh, what is it, seven heads and ten horns. This is not the beast that we just read about a couple of chapters ago that comes out of the pit with the locusts and all that. That was Satan, right? This is the beast of chapter 13, which feels like a long time ago, right? Which also had the same exact description, seven heads, ten horns. And we talked about that that was a reference to Daniel 7, which is just a conglomeration of all the, the kingdoms of the world and their rulers, okay? So if you were to just think of a world map right now and think of all the different kingdoms and the rulers that rule over them that, and then put them all together in one image, that would be the beast of chapter 13, all right? Then we have a prostitute who represents Babylon. We talked about Babylon last time, a little bit. Babylon is not just about the literal ancient city of Babylon, but it also represents the world system, the world's philosophy, the economic system, the political system. And we'll define that a little more after we read the rest of this. So that's like you have like a two-layer image, which can be confusing. A prostitute riding a beast who represents Babylon, which represents the world system, all right? And then the third thing we see there is we have an angel interpreting John's vision, which comes next. And the angel's interpretation, as is typical, will require some interpretation. Thanks for the interpretation. I'm still confused, right? It's funny to me when every time angels interpret things, they sort of interpret things, but they also leave you with a lot of mystery, right? So we'll... Look at that. So let's look at the second half of verse 6 through 18, all right? When I saw her, speaking of that prostitute that represents Babylon, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. I'll explain that phrase in a minute. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. That's a mouthful. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. 
And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth, which is Babylon. Some of that is not clear. Some of it is very clear, right? So just, we're meant to draw this image in your mind, okay? You've got a clear description of this image that John sees of a seductive, beautiful prostitute riding on this beast, which is the nations, all the kingdoms of the world. And she's inviting you and us to come get drunk on what she offers. And her cup of wine is filled with abominations and wickedness and rebellion and sensuality and all this wicked stuff. And she's saying, she's kind of waving you to her saying, just drink. Drink it deep. Get drunk with me. It's really a startling picture. And it's in the Bible. This is not something you could accurately depict in a movie and not have a rated R rating. It would at least be PG-13. And that wouldn't quite capture it, right? And what's John? Now, John is seeing this vision. God is giving him this, showing him this, this image. John sees it. And what's his reaction? It says right there in verse 6, he marveled. He's going, his jaw drops. Everywhere else in Revelation when there's a vision, John, John's reaction is to worship. It's to worship Jesus, to worship the Father on the throne. We have all these images all throughout Revelation. John always reacts by worshiping God. Yet here he, has, he, he sees this vision of this seductive prostitute riding a beast and his jaw drops and he's marveling and the angel looks over at him and basically says what are you doing man pick your jaw up off the floor he says don't marvel tell you what let me unmask her and let you see who she really is because what john is doing is what we do we are don't pick on john Right? That's part of the illustration, is that we do what he does. This image depicts the economic system and religious systems bonding together in an antichrist agenda. There's this great quote from probably the greatest, in my opinion, I shouldn't say that, unqualified, what I think is the best commentary on Revelation. G.K. Beale, here's what he says. Babylon is the prevailing economic-religious system in alliance with the state and its related authorities as it exists in various forms throughout the ages. Because this beast is covered in blasphemous names. Blasphemy is antichrist religion. It's religious talk, but it is antichrist. Okay? So atheists aren't really blasphemous unless they're talking religion. And so it's this kind of false religious thing connected in, in, in league with the economic system of the world 
and I think we could include in that, in our culture, the political system, all working together to bring all of these kingdoms of the world together in rebellion against God and his church. That's Babylon. She's carried along this Babylonian prostitute riding on using the vehicle of the kingdoms of the world, the power system of the world. So what does this mean? In the immediate perspective of John's day, we would say it's a great description of Rome. So John was most certainly thinking at least about Rome. Rome actually sits on seven mountains, which it talks about in the interpretation from the angel. But on that prophetic horizon, it also includes our day, right? It's not just about Rome. It's also about all the kingdoms of the world that have existed ever since that have set themselves up against God and against the church. So this seductress intoxicates her mark with sparkling, shiny things. This is where it starts to feel very familiar. She offers the comfort and satisfaction of the safety, security, instant gratification, and sensuality in exchange for our allegiance to her. Come worship me, marvel at me, and I will give you all that you desire. That's how she seduces us. Look at all these sparkly, shiny things that I have, all this affluence, all this material wealth, and all the safety and comfort and, that, and, and satisfaction that that gives us. Lust after it, covet it, and I will make you drunk with it. Drunk with comfort and convenience and satisfaction. But who should we be pledging our allegiance to? This immediately, as I was thinking about this, you know, part of the job of interpreting Scripture is to bring the Scripture from the culture and audience that it's in and try to find modern, current parallels to that so we can understand what it means. And I can't think of a better one than America. And I really tried. I can't think of a better example of affluence, religion, and power coming together in an antichrist spirit. And I, when I started, when I kind of reconciled myself to that, I just started crying in my office. Thinking, this is not what I was told when I was a kid. I was told we are a Christian nation, we're the most Christian of any nation on the planet. And that's why we're the best. And when I'm reading this and the description of it, I cannot escape the fact that we are the best example of Babylon. I think I've said this before in this series, but the church in America made a terrible mistake when we aligned ourselves so closely with American politics and power. That's been the story of my whole life. I, mean, I don't know when it started. And we wonder why in the last election so many young kids exited the evangelical church. It wasn't because, I don't believe we can just blame this, a bunch of flaky millennials. It's because we taught them that the church in America, the kingdom of God in America are the same thing. And so they could not separate their disappointment 
in the election from their disappointment in the church. They could, we taught them that. We taught them that they're the same thing. We taught them that the church is Republican and that God is a Republican. Therefore, if you are disappointed in the Republican power structure, therefore you must be disappointed in the church power structure. And they could not separate the two. And so they exited the church the way they exited the Republican Party. And to exit the Republican Party was to exit the church. And we taught them that. We should own that. But as I read this description, it's disturbing to me how the similarities are between the prostitute riding the beast and the culture that I live in. We did not teach our kids that no government represents God or the church or the kingdom. And in fact, the kingdom of God is not about the gathering of power and wealth and affluence and influence in the political sphere. It's about serving and dying and being the least of these. No other nation worships material things like we do. No other nation worships unrestrained sensuality like we do. No other nation celebrates the murder of children at the altar of convenience like we do. You know, we're celebrating that now. Not just saying, it's not just freedom of choice anymore, it's celebration of murder. No other sect of Christianity, so-called Christianity, worships political power like we have. Lusts after it like we have. Look at Beale's quote again. Babylon is the prevailing economic religious system in alliance with the state and its related authorities as it exists in various forms throughout the ages. Please don't be confused. I'm not anti-America. I really love it here. I love this country. Every time I leave this country, I come back seriously grateful. I cannot believe that I was born here and not somewhere else. God could have chosen to have me born at a different time or a different place in some impoverished. I could have been born in Mozambique in a mud hut. And my life would be very different. There is nothing special about me that gave me that. God just chose to put me here instead of there. I don't know why. But he did. I am deeply grateful to live here. I'm amazed by it. But because I love my country, I should be, able, I should be the first to rebuke her. Right? It's true that the image in Revelation 17 is concerning all the kingdoms of the world. That is true. But I think we should be more concerned about getting our own house in order first. I can't fix Korea. But I can fix me. (laughs) And that's how we're supposed to approach this, I believe. I believe, church, it's not just Living Hope, but church, capital C. (laughs) not that anyone's really listening, but okay. We have, we have been seduced by Babylon. We really have. And we need to repent. We must repent of our idolatry regarding material things, sensuality, instant gratification, convenience, affluence. 
We have to stop considering affluence a mark of sanctification. It's not. He who has the most toys is the most holy, really? Or the most blessed? Hashtag blessed. How about when you're suffering for the faith? Hashtag blessed. Our value system has been infected by this, pardon my Old Testament or Elizabethan language, but the whore of Babylon. We've been infected by her wine that she's offered us. And that's why the angel looks at John and says, why do you marvel? And so we need to put our place ourselves in the place of John in that vision as we behold this alluring seductress and all that she offers and our jaw drops to the floor when that shiny new phone is released or that shiny new car or that bigger house I'm listing all the things that I struggle with by the way just confessing right Or the security and safety of the size, no number of zeros in your bank account. That feeling of everything's okay, as long as that number is above some number that you keeps going up, by the way. The more you have, the higher your ceiling of comfort goes. Why do you marvel? So I want to read... Some selections from chapter 18, which is where the angel prophesies to John. This is for John's benefit, okay, and ours. And he's showing John and us what's going to happen to Babylon. He's describing it in as much detail as he can. And the goal is to unveil her and say, why are you wanting to be with her? What, what do you Look at who she really is. And he takes the alluring mask off and shows her destiny so that, one, our hearts can get readjusted so that we marvel at Christ, the risen Jesus, the one who is and was and is to come. That's the answer to that strange phrase where they talk about the prostitute of Babylon who is and is not and is to come. That's a, a blasphemous parody of Christ. Revelation over and over describes Jesus as the one who was, who is, and is to come. And then our eyes would get filled and marvel at him and not at the prostitute. So I want to read this, and if you want to read along, you can. Or if you just want to let me read to you, that's fine too. Revelation 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. 
and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measurement of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. Verse 21, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be found in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. So the question is, why do you marvel? Why do you look at Babylon and go, oh, she offers so many wonderful things? This is tough because for us, we belong to a different, we're citizens of another city, right? The city of Zion, which is the kingdom of God. We're citizens of Zion, exiled in Babylon. We're living as exiles. We don't belong here. We're citizens of another country. But we have to live next door inside the walls of Babylon, right? And we have a choice. Do I look at Babylon next door and go, well, yeah, I'll just divide my loyalties. I'll give God some time and I'll give Babylon some time. I'll sip just a little bit of that wine just to fit in. When really what we're supposed to be doing is we're called to stand in Babylon and be a prophetic witness to the risen Christ and say what the angel says, which is come out of her. The ship is going down. The ship is going down. She's, she, is a, she is a prostitute. She is seducing you. Don't get drunk on her wine because you're going to go down with her. That's her message. We can't do that when we look exactly like the citizens of Babylon ourselves. We can't do it.
So why do you marvel? Why do you pity her? Why don't you pity her for her empty vanity and her lust that will never be satisfied? Instead, we should pray for her that she would repent and enter the everlasting kingdom. I think it's one of the things that destroys the evangelistic spirit of the church is that we are too busy marveling at her instead of seeing her need and her brokenness. So instead of weeping over her destiny if she does not repent, instead we kind of deep down want to be with her. We want to live in Babylon but still not suffer her fate. So what are we to do? I think we start with verses 4 through 5. It says, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquity. So it's that come out and be separate, be sanctified, be set apart. Practically, I think we can look at the three T's that I mention all the time to diagnose it. What are you doing with your time, your talent, and your treasure? What are you spending your life's precious resources on? Which city are you putting it into? Who gets your time? Is it the kingdom? You can do a lot of things for the kingdom that are practical. You can do your job for the kingdom. That's not for the world. What do you do with your talent, your gifts? Are you spending them, wasting them on yourself? Gathering your treasure in the center of the city of Babylon, going, wow, look at my piles bigger than yours. It's all going to be burned. What about your treasure? You know, you can pile up treasure even in your retirement account with the goal of letting that allow you to be free to serve the kingdom more effectively. Or you can pile up your money in your retirement so that you can finally live a life of ease and comfort that Babylon has promised you. If you will serve me for 40 years, then I will let you relax. And it's all about the heart attitude, the way you see it, right? Doesn't mean you gotta go burn your retirement account To really change, though, I think it means that we have to learn as to be and think and worship like citizens of Zion and not Babylon, to be enamored with, marvel at Christ more than we marvel at the world. It's one thing to just try not to be something. You ever tried that? I'm not going to think about bacon. <laughs> I'm going to try really hard. No bacon, no bacon, no bacon, no bacon, no bacon. What am I thinking about? Bacon! bacon. Don't eat that bacon. Don't eat it. Don't eat it. This is what happens. And so the answer, I think, is all yes, resist. Resist the temptation, but turn to something too. And the thing you turn to is worship, right? If you want to know how to not sin, worship is the answer. Behold Christ. Marvel at Him. Pull your chin up off the floor. Look somewhere else. Look at Christ. When you look at him, you go, wow, I can't wait to tell somebody about him. And when you look at 
the world through his eyes, what you see is not this seductive prostitute. What you see is someone who's about to burn. And empathy and compassion comes out of your heart for her instead of being seduced by her. Because we have to live here. I wish when I, everybody got saved, you just disappeared into heaven. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> like, poof. It would be the easiest altar crawls ever. Come up here and you will disappear. It will be amazing. But that's not how it works. We're those two prophetic witnesses we've read about pointing at Christ saying, Savior of the world, he's risen. There's a kingdom and a throne right now surrounded by angels, multitudes of angels and believers worshiping God at his throne. And we live, that's what's happening right now. Don't you want to be in that throne room instead of following this stupid prostitute around? I think that's how we ultimately change. That's what repentance means. It's not just not sinning or trying not to sin or trying not to think like things that you deeply like. But instead, liking Jesus more and worshiping him more and getting him in your head more than the world is in your head. So we plead with Christ to fill us with wonder at his glory over all other glories. And that's what I want. I think that's the role of the Holy Spirit. The main job of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ, not just to make our meetings better, but to actually reveal Jesus. And that's what he's trying to do when he makes our meetings better. <laughs> because he says, hey, Jesus is here. That's what he's saying. That's what it means. That's what Vic's vision this morning means. What it means to be empty is to be marveling at Babylon more than you marvel at Christ. Christ is not in your focus. He's not in your mind. You're not filled with his presence. You're filled with, you've filled yourself with other stuff. Your heart is somewhere else. And so to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you looks like just looking at Jesus more. I'm compelled to look at Christ and act like Christ. That's what, it, that's what the fruit of the Spirit describe, right? At the end of the book of Galatians. It's just acting like Jesus. And that's what we need more than anything else. Because we have to leave here, right? I have to leave here and go to work, and go live, and go do stuff in downtown Babylon. I mean, I got to vote for somebody this year. I got to vote who's going to be the king of Babylon. <laughs> Which ruler will be best? And it's depressing. I don't care who you're voting for, it's going to be depressing. If you actually think that this is the key, this is the key to somehow turn Babylon into something else. The key is the gospel, and it's the church. I'm more, way more concerned and hopeful about the church doing its thing and transforming our culture than I am about who's gonna, who we elect. It's important, but it's not that important not nearly as important as the church being the church amen why don't we stand up and pray and we're going to worship together and i want to encourage you as we worship to um if you're still distracted away from jesus that you would pray and just continue praying ask the holy spirit to direct your heart 
and your affections, your emotions towards Jesus instead of just trying not to be a bad person. Instead, just behold him and let's use this time to worship to do that. Amen. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, once again this morning, we invite you to come and would you transform our affections? Would you redirect and reignite our emotions towards you and away from the world? God, that we would take our comfort and satisfaction and joy in you and not in the things that Babylon offers. God, that we would base our security in your goodness and faithfulness and not in our ability to provide for ourselves. God, that you would break us of the addiction to sensuality, to filling our every physical sense with satisfaction that never actually satisfies. Lord, we repent of getting confused sometimes about which city we live in. God, that we would not marvel at the world anymore, but we would marvel at you. God, fill us with compassion for the world, but that we would only worship you. God, help us to be reminded this morning that we are citizens of another country, a heavenly city, that we are aliens and strangers here. God, help us to be okay with that. Help us to pile up our treasure in heaven and not here. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.